You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. Well, Father, we stop right now. We don't just want to rush in to the next part of a service after what we have just sung. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who was and who is and who is to come. May that never grow old on our hearts, Lord. May that anthem never be silenced in our lives as we look to you, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Oh, we just pause. We just pause. Say, who are we that we could come into your presence and to shout your praise? Apart from the blood of your Son. May that never grow old on us today. Refresh us in that truth today. That as we look to you, Father, whatever, whatever anxieties, whatever fears, whatever trials from this week, we lay them at your feet. And we can look into your face and say, worthy is the lamb that was slain. There is none like you. And so, Lord, remove distraction from this place now and come and minister into the deepest recesses of our hearts in areas we don't even know we need to bring before you. Would you illuminate that by your spirit? And this would be a place of freedom. This would be a place where you are welcome, continue to minister with us today. I pray every word that is spoken now would be faithful to the eternal word of God given to us. Father, open every eye to see, ear to hear, and heart to respond. Find us teachable today, I pray. That we wouldn't come with defensiveness. We would just drop that in the presence of God and say, here I am, minister. This is me. Help us not to be afraid to go there. Find us humble. Find us willing. Stir our hearts for a greater affection in you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, you may be seated. Well, good morning, church. What a, what a privilege it is to be back here with you. and We love you very much. And know that I can say for Natalie and the boys and myself, we pray for you every day, literally. We pray for you every day and are so excited about what the Lord is doing here. And uh, we believe that there will be greater work in the days ahead as you continue to press in to know Him for Him and make Him your first pursuit. And so thank you for the privilege of coming back here and just wanted to give you a quick update on what God is doing in our nation's capital. Uh, we just finished a week of fasting and prayer and I just saw God move so incredibly in, in our hearts. Our pursuit was Him. The theme was Zechariah 4.6. Not by might or by power, but by His Spirit alone will we see Him do what only He can do in the hearts of the people of our church, but also in the hearts of the people in our nation's capital of Ottawa. And so we thank you for your prayers there and and I uh, just wanted to give you a few things to be praying for us about. Number one is, um, 
please pray that we would have a desire for more of Him. It's so easy in a church plant to want the next thing, get the next provision, get the... Nothing compared to wanting Him as our first pursuit, as our first desire. So pray that the Lord continues to stir the hearts of our core group, myself, our elders, and the people of Ottawa who will join that core group. Also, uh, please pray for increased faith. Without faith, Hebrews 11.6 makes it really clear, without faith it's impossible to please God. And we want the pleasure of God over His church. Amen? So please pray for increased faith for us to follow the Lord and what He's calling us to do. As well, please pray, number three, for clarity. Clarity. There are many decisions, tough decisions that we need to be making in the days to come. And we need the Lord's clarity and unity as elders for that and with our people. As well, lastly, please pray for provision. Provision for, we need a facility. Ottawa is very tight on facilities. They're very against, most of them are very against a church coming in. So we need a facility, provision, and a worship leader. And as you can imagine, all of these things affect our launch date. Right? And so we trust the Lord for His timing and in His way. But please pray for that provision and for more people to be joining our core group as well. We're seeing that happen, and we pray for that continually. So please pray for us in that. And I'm excited to share that as well as, Lord willing, more updates in the months to come. We appreciate your prayers and ask you would continue that. Well, as exciting as that is for me to share with you about how God is building His church, um, I'm excited to share from God's Word with you this morning. The title of this morning's message is A Sign of Sovereignty. And if you don't have a Bible uh, to look up John 6, verse 16 to 21, where our passage is taken from today, the ushers are coming up right now. Please make sure you put your hand up, and we want to give you a copy of God's Word. If you don't have a copy of God's Word at home, Please keep that one as our gift for you to continue to study the word of the Lord at home. John chapter 6, verses 16 to 21, and the title of this morning's message is A Sign of Sovereignty. A Sign of Sovereignty. And as you're turning there, I have a question for you as we start out today, and it is this. How many of us here, loved ones, how many of us here have ever asked God for a sign? Ever asked God for a sign? Yeah, don't be shy. Yes, absolutely. Don't be shy. Yeah, Lord, maybe our sign was um, who to marry. Lord, show me who to marry on this. Just give me something. Maybe a sign was, Lord, show me what job to take or uh, how to get through a trial. Just show me something that you're here. All right? Or, or show me something and, uh, as I'm battling through this sickness or trial or pain. Maybe you're asking, maybe some of you ask God this today, right here on the way to church. Lord, just show me you're near in what I'm going through. But what we'll see here in John 6 is that the signs and miracles that Jesus performed, they indeed, they had a crucial purpose. But it's not the one that you and I like to think it is. See, we like to think that the reasons God does signs and miracles is about giving us what we want. Don't we like to believe that? Lord, do a miracle. Like the, think of the feeding of the 5,000 where this text takes liter place literally moments after. People were like, do a sign. Break bread and fish. Why? So we can eat. We're hungry. 
totally missing the real purpose of what it was intended to do. And we like to think that the reasons God does signs and miracles is about him giving us what we want and what we're asking him for. However, and we need to hit this right out of the gate at the start, and it is this, signs from God are meant to point us back to God. Signs from God are meant to point us back to God, and each of them are rooted in His glory and are for His glory alone. Signs from God are meant to point us back to God, and each of them is rooted in His glory and for His glory alone. And the purpose of this specific sign that we're going to look at today in John 6, where Jesus walks on the water, was to demonstrate His deity by showing His sovereignty over the laws and power of nature. To demonstrate His deity as God, as the Son of God, while also demonstrating his sovereignty over the laws and power of nature. Now, some of you may be like, well, wait, sovereignty, like that's a big term. What does that even mean? What does that even mean? Well, take a look at this uh, definition from Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology book. I, I think he nails this very simply. He says, God's sovereignty is God's exercise of power over his creation. Okay? Key definition. God's sovereignty is God's exercise of power over his creation. We can expand that. It is God having supreme power and authority over all things. If we were to break this down even more, ready? Here it is. God's in control. Right? Layman's terms. God's in control. Every moment, every detail, every step Now, I don't know about you, but I'm very comforted to know that literally nothing, get this, literally nothing can happen to us that God has not already ordained. Just think about that for a second. And maybe some of you are like, okay, I just need to hear that. I'm good. I got enough for this week. I'm going to home. Stick around. Stick around. You're going to want to stick around. Okay? Literally nothing can happen to us that God has not already ordained. But yet at the same token, there is perhaps no other doctrine that our human flesh fights against more than this one, that God is in control. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, don't we say things like, I want to have my time and my agenda. I want things to go the way I want them to. I want my health to be in a certain place so I can live the life that I want to live. I want to be married by this time so I can have a family by this time, and then, and then we can go on moving forward in my life. I, I, I like to have my kids behaving a certain way. Well, <laughs> that sometimes only lasts 20 seconds, and then you're back down to square one. But don't we fight against God's sovereign control? We love to have control. And I think R.C. Sproul, the theologian, said it so beautifully, so true this way. He said, most Christians will salute the sovereignty of God. We'll say, yeah, we recognize it. Yeah, God's sovereign. That's great and everything. Uh, But we live out a belief in the sovereignty of man. Most Christians will salute the sovereignty of God and pay it lip service, but we live out the sovereignty of man. And what we so often fail to realize, church, is that the sovereignty of God over our lives is a gift. 
It is a gift that is never meant to be something that is shunned, but is always meant to be embraced for our good and for His glory. And here in this text, just after he's fed the 5,000, we see Jesus showing his power and sovereignty over the laws of nature on the Sea of Galilee. And he shows us two crucial truths here that we must remember as we live out our lives under his sovereignty and face the situations that will come. Two crucial truths. Let's pick it up. John chapter 6, starting at verse 16. Jesus walks on water. When evening came... His disciples got, went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Well, two crucial truths that we see here is that God is sovereign over my situation. I must trust him through it. God is sovereign over my situation. I must trust him through it. And you'll see there's two crucial areas that are identified in these first three verses as to what we are to trust him in. And the number one thing we see in verses 16 and 17 is, I must trust him for his timing. I must trust him for his timing. Look at verses 16 and 17. When the evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. We'll see there where it says, when evening came, he had... He had not yet come to them. What's he talking about there? Well, in order to get the full context of what we are seeing here, we have to look at the parallel gospel, okay, of Matthew chapter 14, where we see immediately that after feeding the 5,000, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side of the lake while he went off to pray. He made them get in the boat. That's crucial, okay? He says, I'm going off to pray, you guys get into the boat. And the indication that he gave the disciples when he sent them off was that he would be meeting up with them and would come to them shortly. Okay? He told them to get into the boat. He told them, I'm coming to meet you shortly. And that's why here at the end of verse 17, it says, and Jesus had not yet come to them because he told them he was on the way. Okay? Now look what happens next in verse 18. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. Okay, we have to try to live in this text. The Sea of Galilee is roughly 600 feet below sea level. You're going to see a picture of it on the screen here. The Sea of Galilee, and by the way, I, for those of you who know me, you know that I used to live in Israel. I used to live in Jerusalem, and it is like every bit as beautiful as you're looking there. Okay, just a little push there if you ever want to go. All right? It is absolutely stunning. And you see there, the Sea of Galilee, freshwater lake, it is roughly 600 feet below sea level, and it is surrounded by, what's it surrounded by? Mountains and hills. Okay? Mountains and hills around the vast majority of it. And as pretty as that is to look at, 
What happens, though, is when the wind comes down from the north, that setup literally creates a wind tunnel. Okay, you've got all these mountains around. It literally creates a wind tunnel that can churn up water into a violent storm within minutes. You're going to see the next picture of what it would look like about five minutes later at the start of a storm. This is what was coming. You see the clouds rolling in there? That's just the very start. Minutes later, as the wind picked it up, churning, churning those waves up. And in fact, in the parallel gospel writings of this event in Matthew and Mark, it says that the disciples' boat was far from the land and that they were straining at the oars just to make any progress. And so as such, we aren't just speaking of a little breeze blowing over the water here. When John says the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing, he is depicting, his language is depicting a violent squall. And you can see the start of that. Now imagine what that's like in the heat of it, in the middle of the storm. And so as you look at that picture, I want you to remember a couple things. First off, at least seven of these disciples were professional fishermen. They had been on the sea their whole life. Okay? And here they are, straining at the Can you picture that? Straining at the oars just to get through the storm. And, and I have a question for us we need to ask of ourselves is, how, how would you feel in this moment right here if you were a disciple? Jesus has made you get into the boat, and he said he'd meet up with you. Yet, at this moment right here, all your experience is starting on the sea is starting to mean nothing. All of your expertise, it's not helping. You are being pushed out to sea. And yet, Jesus says, I'm going to meet up with you. Yet, by every physical and natural indication, that doesn't seem very likely because you and everyone else in the boat may not even make it to shore. But Jesus said he's coming. I mean, can you see them straining as hard as they can? And can you hear them crying out in fear? We can't row anymore. We can't row anymore. We're exhausted. The waves are too much. The darkness is too thick. It says, the sea became rough, strong wind was blowing. And in verse 17, it says, it was now dark. The darkness is too thick. We can't even see where we're going. Because the the storm is too great and we can't see a way through. We have no control. Can you, can you see them, church? Can you see them start to wonder? Does Jesus even care that we're still out here? Does Jesus even care that we're still going through this trial? I mean, shouldn't he have acted by now? Can we even trust that he's going to come and do what he says he would do? He's taking too long. Okay, full stop. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? Don't we ask the same things? Don't we say the same thing when we're in the storm, when we're in the uncertainty, when we're in the darkness, when we're in the trial, when the waves are picking up and the darkness is getting deeper and the fatigue is starting to creep in and it begins to take its toll on us and we so often begin to feel as though God is taking too long to act in the situations we face and we begin to doubt his sovereignty that he is in control and in his ability to come 
and help us. So what is it for you right now? What is it for you right now that is causing you to doubt God's sovereign timing in that situation you're facing where you're just waiting for God to act? Maybe it's been years. What is that for you? Just take a moment to write that down. Maybe it's, for some of us here, it's, it's in our jobs. Maybe it's in our marriages. Maybe it's with our finances. Maybe it's with our health. You've been struggling with a health issue for years. This is a huge one for me. Um, Maybe it's with our kids. What is it for you? And yet, right in the middle of that, right in the middle of the waves crashing and the darkness deepening and the fatigue increasing and the fear rising, God in His goodness tells us Psalm 27, 14, which says, wait on the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage and wait on the Lord. Right in the middle of it. Or he tells us Psalm 37, 5, which says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him. Loved one, trust in Him. And He will, there's the promise, He will act. He will act. It may not be when you're expecting, as the disciples are about to find out here, but it will be at the right time, at the perfect time. You see, God in His sovereignty, church, is always in control, completely trustworthy, and will always fulfill what He says He will do in His time. In His time, which is the perfect timing for us. He said to the disciples, I'm coming. Guess what He's doing? I'm coming. He's never broken a promise in all of eternity, and He never will. He is completely trustworthy. And loved ones, I love to see you taking notes. That blesses my heart. But look up here for a moment because we need, to, we need to nail this point, and it is this. We have to remember this, that in our waiting, God is working. In our waiting, God is working. And I was so um, blessed and comforted by This quote by John Piper that sums this up. He says this, The strength of patience hangs on our capacity to believe that God is up to something good for us in all our delays and detours. 
the strength of patience hangs on our capacity to believe that God is up to something good for us in all our delays and detours. And this is what the disciples needed to have the faith to believe right here and what we must have the faith to believe today and be reminded of. And be reminded of. And because God is sovereign over my situation, loves me and is a good, good Father, I must trust Him through that situation to act in His timing, but I must also trust Him to act through it in His way. God is sovereign over my situation I must trust him through it for his way. Look at verse 19. It says this. When they, the disciples, had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. Okay, right there at the start of verse 19 where it says when they had rowed about three or four miles, once again we must look back to the gospel parallels to fill in some details here for us about what's happening. You'll see it on the screen. Matthew 14, 24 says this, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Now, you have to remember something, loved ones. The Sea of Galilee is not that big. It's really not that big. And so what this means is that this boat was nowhere near the shore, okay? It's no, it doesn't take much to get into the middle of the lake. It is nowhere near the shore, and it's approaching the center of the lake. And Jesus, notice what Jesus is doing. He's literally, deliberately having them go into the middle of the storm, into the middle of the lake, in the deepest water. These are not cruising the shoreline. They couldn't just get out whenever they wanted. They literally had no control. They're in the middle of the lake. And we're also told in Matthew 14.25, this is a crucial point, we're also told in Matthew 14.25 that it was now the fourth watch of the night. Now the fourth watch of the night is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., okay? When did the, you remember from the first part of the message, when did the disciples get in the boat? Right after the feeding of the 5,000 at dinner. It's now between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. How long they've been in the boat? Hours. Hours. Fighting, fatiguing, fearing. Professional fishermen hours the struggle has been going on and now look what happens next in verse 19 back half when they had rowed about three or four miles they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat and they were frightened I think that's worth a second read, don't you? Jesus is walking on the sea. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. (laughs) That's awesome. That is awesome. 
And so often we read scripture and we just browse over the massive implication that that is. Don't let your familiarity with the word of God trump the awe of God that it is meant to instill in your life. That is amazing. He's He's walking on the water. And here we see this awesome picture of Jesus making himself known to his disciples. Notice how he's doing it? On his terms. I highly doubt the disciples (laughs) would have chosen to meet Jesus this way. I think they would have chosen to meet him on the shore where it's safe. In fact, I would take it a step further and say, I doubt very much the disciples could have even imagined of meeting Jesus this way. He's making himself known on his terms. But look at verse 19. Instead of recognizing him for who he was, what happened? They became frightened and terrified. In fact, in the parallel gospels of Matthew and Mark, it says they were crying out. They thought it was a ghost. They're like, get out of here. Get out of here. This is a ghost. They didn't even recognize him. Okay, full stop. I mean, how... How do you even describe this? How do we even begin to get our heads around this? This actually happened. Well, I was going to try to demonstrate that whole suspending the law of gravity thing for you. That was just going to go bad. So we're going to put a picture up here, and we're going to try to live in this text as best we can. Put yourself in the disciples' shoes here. It's the middle of the night in a raging storm and you are terrified. It's totally dark all around. You're just about out of strength. You've been battling for hours with no progress. Waves are tossing your boat all over the place. There's a good chance by this point that you're thinking you're going to die. And then if that wasn't fearful enough, you see someone who you think is a ghost walking towards you. It's just, again, reminded of it this week in reviewing this. Why did Jesus, it just begs the question, why did Jesus choose to meet them this way? I mean, you ever think of that? Why didn't he just calm the storm down first? Get them to the other side of the lake, whoop, little quick trip across the lake, and meet up with them there. I mean, wouldn't he have been doing what he promised he would do in meeting up with them? Totally. Why wouldn't he just calm the wind down first? I mean, why would he do, wouldn't do that instead of terrifying them this way? They thought he was a ghost, as if they weren't fearful enough. And the answer is this. The answer is this. Because even though this, what you see on that screen, even though this was not what the disciples would have chosen or the way they would have liked it, it is what Jesus knew they needed. It is what Jesus Christ in his sovereignty knew they needed. 
because Jesus wanted something much more for them than for them just to get to the shore. He wanted their faith. He wanted their hearts in him to see and believe who he really was as the Son of God who has authority and sovereignty over all creation, even going to the lengths of supernaturally suspending the law of gravity to reveal this to them. He wanted their faith. You see, in their way, get this, this is so key, in their way, the disciples just wanted the shore. But in Jesus' way, he wanted their hearts. He wanted their heart. And even though he had tried to show them his true identity and his power through all the signs and miracles that he had performed right up to this point, in all of the Gospels we see, the hearts of the disciples were still hard and couldn't recognize him and his sovereignty and power over their lives. They were still hard right up to this point. And loved ones, I am encouraged by this this morning, this truth that quite often Jesus will take us to the end of ourselves Quite often, Jesus will take us to the end of ourselves because it's in those times we see Him for who He really is and realize that He is all we need. It's not a comfortable place to be, but it's the best place to be. And so how many of us here this morning are asking God to bring us through the trial or the uncertainty we're facing on our terms and in our way? Maybe for some of us, it's in our marriages. God, come through the way I want it to come through. Change my spouse the way I want them to change. Maybe some of us, it's for sickness. or the addictions we're struggling with, or the temptations that we face, or in our parenting, or in our jobs. I mean, what is it for you today that we are pursuing and saying, God, come through on my terms, in my way. Get my kids into that school. Instead of trusting in His sovereignty and submitting ourselves to His way. And in a spirit of vulnerability, church, I just have to say that I am learning this on a whole new level in church planting. It's not a comfortable place to be, but it's the best place to be. And I'm so encouraged with this by John Piper when he said this, the path of faithfulness is very seldom a straight line. It's so true. The path of faithfulness is very seldom a straight line to where we want to go. 
And God will often not do things the way you think He should, and He will not be forced into meeting our earthly agenda because His agenda for us is always greater, and His glory, sovereignty, and power are always the focus of it. It's always the focus of it. God is sovereign over my situation. I must trust Him through it for His timing and for His way. And as we begin to trust Him through the situation, we are then able to begin to see Him through each part of it. God is sovereign over my situation. I must see Him through it. Look at verses 20 and 21. This is the climax. Everything has been building to this moment right here. Let's look. Verse 20 and 21. But He, Jesus, said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Notice there in verse 20 when he says, but it is I, do not be afraid. How glad do you think they were at that moment to hear that? Amen? Jesus finally identifies himself to the disciples after he saw that they weren't recognizing him and they were frightened and terrified. And these, notice this, notice this. This is beautiful. Notice that these words Jesus spoke, what did they do? They overcame the terror and the fear that the disciples were experiencing in the boat. Because look at what it says next. The next thing it says was, in verse 21, then they were glad to take him into the boat. See, once they heard his voice, and saw that it was Jesus, and knew that he was with them, they were filled with gladness, joy, and eagerly invited him into the boat with them. You see what happened right there? His presence and his words brought his peace and gladness right into the middle of the storm. And they still do today. They still do today. And then look what happens at the end of verse 21. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Did you, did you see what just happened there? Immediately the boat was at the land. Miracle number two. Jesus gets in the boat. He's like, okay, guys, let's get to the shore. The boat's at the shore. It was in the middle of the lake. I got you. You got me. That's what I wanted. The shore's nothing. Okay, let's get there now. <laughs> and so, to get the full picture of what's happening here, this is amazing. Like, to get the full picture of what's happening here after Jesus got in a boat and the wind stopped, we need to go to back to Matthew 14 to fill in some details. In verse 33, you'll see it on the screen when it says this. And those in the boat, when they brought him in, what did they do? They worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. They worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Now, now, just keep that verse up there for a moment, and I want you to take a look at that. And I, I want you to notice what's not included in that verse. Where does it mention the shore? 
the very thing they were so focused on getting, the very thing they had been straining and working so hard for. Where's the shore? I mean, I mean, I don't see it in there. Hey, Jesus, thanks for getting us to the shore. There's lots of grass here. We could have a picnic right over here. We could make a little house here, and we could have, you know, a little place for our families. And, oh, this sand is so nice. And the rocks, wow, they'll really protect us from the... Where's the shore? they totally oblivious to what they thought was the most important thing. Instead... Their only response was to see Jesus for who he really was as the Son of God who is sovereign over all creation and they did the only right response. They worshipped him. They worshipped him. And at this moment, this is the climax, at this moment right here, Jesus had their hearts for the first time. And they didn't understand what his deity meant, what his sovereignty meant completely, but at this moment right here, for the first time, they saw Jesus for who he really was and not just what he could do for them. He had their hearts. And my question this morning, loved ones, is this. Does he have yours? Does he have mine? Or are we still going after the shore as the greatest outcome? Because all of a sudden, the very outcome the disciples have been so focused on became too small a thing for them. It became too small a thing for them to pursue in comparison to God's glory that was right in front of them through the storm they worshipped. And my question is, are you, am I, worshipping our way right through that storm we're facing right now? Are we? Because he's right there waiting. And this struck me again this week with this truth. Look up here for a moment, please. Love the notes. The worst possible outcome we could ever have is to get the outcome we're asking for, but to miss getting Jesus in the process. The worst possible outcome we could ever have is to get what we're asking for, but to miss getting the glory of the Son of God in the process. You see, getting your health is just too small a thing. Getting that provision that you're asking for, whether it be a spouse, whether it be financial provision, whether it be a home, whether it be children, whether it be whatever it is, is just too small a thing. Planting a church, Ray, It's just too small a thing. Are we getting him? 
this begs the question as we evaluate this and, and see, ask the Holy Spirit to show us where we're at, I would ask it this way. If God never gave you anything else or me anything else but the promise of eternal life with Him, would that be enough for you? Would it be enough for me? If God never gave you the anything else except the promise of eternal life with Him, would it be enough for you? No more kids. You don't get that house you're asking for, that job you're asking for, your health you're asking for, but you can get Him. Is that enough? If I could shrink that question down, I'd ask it like this. Is He enough for you? We just sang, Christ is enough. Is he enough? Be careful how you answer the question because that's what he wants. He'll take you up on it. Not a comfortable place to be, but the best place. You see, God always has a greater work in mind as we go through the situations we face and that greater work is him he is the greatest outcome we could ever have in whatever we are facing. And in his presence, as the disciples found out here, there is lasting peace and rest and stillness and hope and joy, protection and relief. And there's no shoreline that can offer that. Nothing else comes close to that. There will always be something else to pursue in this world if we are not pursuing Him first. Nothing else can take your fear and overcome it with faith. Nothing else you pursue will take your anxiety and overcome it with peace. Nothing else you pursue can replace your doubt with hope, your sorrow with joy that will last. Nothing else. No shoreline gives that. It's too small a thing. And when we see him, we find his strength. Our fears are defeated and his glory is shown in our lives as we worship him saying, truly, you are the son of God. And you are worthy to be my only pursuit. You're the son of God. Show me your glory. So how about you? How about me? What are you looking at right now as the greatest outcome in the situations you're facing? In fact, drill this application down a little bit more. Think about that one thing that's constantly been coming up through the course of this service and write that down, that you're pursuing as your greatest outcome. And I remind you of this as we close out. It is this. Getting to the shore, loved ones, is just too small a thing. Are you getting him in your families, in your marriage, in your job, in your struggle, in your fear? Are you getting him when the darkness is deepening and the waves are crashing? Are you getting him? By putting your faith in him alone and drawing near to him through his word, through prayer and through worship right in the middle of what you're facing. 
And maybe you're here and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and your first step to getting Him is to confess Him as your Lord and Savior and believe that He is the sovereign God over all creation that came to earth and paid the penalty for your sin upon the cross so that you can have a personal relationship with Him and have your sins forgiven. This is where everything starts for you and the Bible is very clear that today when you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. He says, it is I. Do not be afraid. And if you're here and you've surrendered your life to Him, but you realize now you have begun to trust in other things, pursuing other outcomes, and now He is calling you back to repent and to trust in His sovereignty over your life and to show you, loved ones, that He can still be trusted. He can still be seen. And it is He who still says, it is I. Do not be afraid. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Well, Father God, you are worthy to be praised. You and you alone, Father, are our cornerstone, our refuge, the anchor that will never, ever fail, but will always hold in the storm, in the trial, in the fear. Let us not trust the sweetest frame. Let us not trust the opinion of man. Let us trust in the name of the Lord our God, not in our horses, not in our chariots, in the name of the Lord our God alone, who is worthy to be praised. And so, Father, I pray that as you continue to move here, Lord, that, Lord, we continue to let you have your way in this place, and uh, we give you all the praise, honor, and glory for this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.